What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. Taylor Davis is down in Bradenton, Florida right now for this iteration of Show and Go with Taylor Davis. I'm sitting in the Chicagoland area. I left Indianapolis when it was negative one with a wind chill of negative 20. And I'm in Chicago where it was negative four earlier today with a wind chill of negative 27. What are you rocking with right now? Uh, yeah, it's a tick warmer than that. Um, I, I will say, though, now you know what it feels like to play that, that negative 27 that we played in in uh, St. Paul. Um, what was that? Yeah, there's were you, 20 were you there for that. Yeah, that was, was 2022. 22, right? You were it, it was end of April. Uh Indy was in St. Paul and you guys were playing in there was a snowed out game but you guys played the night after that when so, I think it was 27 degrees at first pitch. So the the first the the first game was cold it out. The second day it was actually colder, but it didn't snow. So they're like, we, we can't do this twice in a row. Yeah. We showed up. It ended up being the coldest game in the the coldest professional baseball game in the history of the state. Um, yeah, the wind chills were below zero. It was, it was, you want to talk about something funny? I mean, not really, but kind of was watching O'Neill Cruz play in that game. So I was going to say, because I was calling that game remotely. Like I was sitting in Indy in a warm booth and, and we were watching that game and I pull out my iPhone weather and I'm just like, all right, temp at first pitch, 27 degrees. <laughs> and, I, and like the real feel was like four or something at first pitch, and it dropped below that. But I, I was texting so many people, and I, I got on the phone with people the next morning. I was like, I love watching O'Neill Cruz play baseball, but last night he put together some of the most uncompetitive at-bats I've ever seen in my life. And it was like – Henry Rowan Gardner. Dude, it was like 88, 87, just like right down the pipe. And he was standing there like didn't even load. He's like, I'm not doing this. I don't want to do this. He made a business decision, and I respected the business decision. Yeah, that was such a bad spot for him to be in. And, you know, there was already drama there to begin with, with everything going on with him being in AAA. Right. Now it's miserably cold for this Caribbean-born kid. Right. So funny. I I asked him when he came back. I was like, "You didn't want to do that." <laughs> he was like, "He's like coldest I've ever been." <laughs> I was yeah. like, "Yeah, I I totally understand that." Um, things on the agenda for us today. I, I want to talk about you know why some teams are operating like small market teams when they are historically non small market teams, uh, and then kind of dovetailing off of that. There are some teams that it seems like everybody wants to go play for. And then there are some teams that it seems like nobody wants to go play for. And they are in the bidding wars with these teams that everybody wants to go play for. And there's one team in particular that keeps on winning with like the the high ticket guys. But, you know, like San Francisco has been in on everybody. Why is San Francisco not getting anybody? Why is Toronto not getting anybody? The only guy that they've really gotten so far is Kevin Kiermeyer. It's... It's kind of bizarre. I want to start with the Boston Red Sox, though, because the Boston Red Sox, like I, it seems like I'm reading a new report and a new article in The Athletic or on MLB Trade Rumors every morning where it's Craig Bressel wants to do this, but the Red Sox were priced out of this free agent. 
why are the Boston Red Sox getting priced out of free agents? They were priced out of Yoshinobu Yamamoto. They were apparently in on Imanaga, and then they had to pull out. Like, I, I they couldn't match what the Dodgers gave Teoscar Hernandez. There have been a whole bunch of different guys that have signed elsewhere that have been connected to the Red Sox. And, and everything that I read is they were too expensive for the Boston Red Sox. And my question to you is simply, how is that the case with the Boston freaking Red Sox? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of question that myself. Um, you know, uh, when you look at a lot of these names, the, the interesting thing to me has been the narrative behind it. As in, I feel as though the narrative has changed while we're while we're talking about this. I see the same articles, and in one of them, we're talking about the Red Sox not going through a rebuild, and then in another one, we're talking about the Red Sox selling off some pieces so that I can I can uh, get some pieces for the next coming years. Like I just feel like the moves have been a little bit interesting. Um, I'm I'm I think it's always good for baseball when a team tries to win, right? Tries to compete right now. A little bit of me wonders if what Boston is doing is kind of a sign of respect to the rest of the AL East. Like the AL East is so talented right now that to get out of the AL East is going to be really difficult. I mean, Boston's the worst team in the AL East. Yeah. For them to become the fourth place team in the AL East, it's going to take quite a bit. So you're saying pretty much – like might as well hold the money right now. Might as well stay cheap if you have zero guarantee of being competitive in your division. Exactly. It seems like right now, and I don't want to undermine, you know, like, hey, Von Grissom may be great. Tristan Casas may take a big step up. They just gave 75 mil to Masataki Yoshida. So, you know, I, I can applaud the players from an individual standpoint, but as a team, on paper, they are the worst team in the American League. So what you're saying is, well, if we have no shot of even being at the top and being a true World Series contender, we might as well just hold our money and wait till we see some cracks in the armor from Toronto and from New York or from Tampa. Like Baltimore has got no cracks. I don't think Tampa is ever going to get cracks. But Toronto may be a little bit closer to a rebuild than we may think. Like Vladdy's got to get paid. Yeah. Bichette's got to get paid. Gosman has, I want to say, two more years left on his deal. So this in turn becomes, okay, maybe we just wait until Toronto gets bad and then we start to pounce. I think it could be, and I don't think it's necessarily that you don't think you can win the division. I think that it's the race to get to the playoffs in the AL East is so difficult, right? Like we've talked about it on this podcast before about how I think a lot of mindsets have changed and, um, a lot of teams really go in this fashion of like, just get me to the playoffs. They're so volatile. Anybody can beat anybody in the playoffs. But I think if you're in the AL East right now and you're the Boston Red Sox, you're looking at this, you're going, okay, the Yankees just traded for Juan Soto, which means they're probably going to make some moves in the middle of the year, right? We know who the Baltimore Orioles are. We know who the Tampa Bay Rays are. Toronto is in an interesting spot, as you noted. Uh, they're in a, they're going to have some decisions, right? Am I going to pay? You know, I think it really comes down to: Are you going to pay Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero, or are you going to let them walk? Because that's your options to me. Right. When I look at this, I say you pay them both, or you let them both walk. Well, or you trade them, but but you don't. You either you either sign them both, or you don't go for either of them, and you go for a rebuild. Do you think like? 
I, I'm curious how you see Vladdy's kind of contract situation playing out right now, because, you know, off on the heels of the 2023 season, you could say, oh, this guy's like mm, maybe an $100 million player. He's 24 years old. He's going to turn 25 in mid-March. Yes, he had a 790 OPS. Like, okay, 26 and 94, those are great counting numbers, but the war was borderline negative because he was a liability at first base. Like, we're two years removed from this guy having 48 pumps and 111 driven in. And over the last three years, home run totals, 48, 32, 26. RBI totals, 111, 97, 94. Batting average, 311, 274, 264. It's obviously a steady decline, but again, he's 24 years old. So I ask you, like, is this the biggest year for Toronto and Vladdy to kind of figure out what they are? Because if he bounces back and puts up an 1,000 OPS season, he's probably a $200 million first baseman. I think um, there's one player that Vladimir Guerrero needs to be watching in free agency, and that's Cody Bellinger, because I think you're looking at a very similar scenario, not near the the four the, the volatility like he hit rock bottom but he also didn't win an mvp um so i think you're you're really talking about an interesting deal here where if cody bellinger gets a bunch of money that bodes really well to vladdy if he puts together a solid you know year year and a half like if he puts a is a good year is he was he free agent after 25 i think so after 25 I mean, if he puts together a, a solid campaign this year and then a really good stepping stone, you know, a really good uh, – what's that called? The year when you're going to get paid? Uh, contract year. Yeah. When he, if he gets, you know, if he can play really well then, then, you know, I think he got something. But I, I'm with you. I think he's got to show – he's got to show a little less regression. Um, he needs to show that he can he can continue that, that power that we saw initially. So the the one that kind of jumps out to me is Pete Alonso is going to set the first base market. We talk about setting the market, and that burden will fall on Adley Rutschman at some point. It may fall on Will Smith before it falls on Adley, and Adley can use Will Smith as a stepping stone, and then in turn, like the young guard will follow Adley. But Adley may just be in a different league than Will Smith because he's an elite defender, and the offensive numbers may be comparable. Um with Vladdy, I think Pete Alonso is going to going to reset the first base market this offseason. And what Vladdy can do if he has two good years before then is point to Alonso and say, "All right, guess what? They paid that guy when he was thirty. I'm twenty five. What you going to do now?" And that, in turn, may up it by eighty million dollars. So I, well, I think I'll if Alonzo you, gets one one thirty, Vladdy could be looking at two ten as a first baseman. What about what about the con the twenty twenty five contract for Reese Hoskins? Right? Like another scenario where you get a guy that was really good for a bit and then was good for a little bit. Yeah. Like I think if he has a good year this year now you're talking about a decent sized contract for that guy, you know, because he's not going to get a big deal this year, right? He's probably going to get no, a one year. No, I mean, deal he'll probably sign a, a one or two year deal. If I was in Reese Hoskins' shoes, I would do the Conforto thing where I sign yeah, a I, one I, plus one at, at like, you know, 18 a year, maybe 20 a year. I think Hoskins can get a two for 40 deal right now as like, hey, this year at 20 and then a mutual option at 20, like similar to what Bellinger did. And Bellinger opted out, he's going to get 200 mil. Hoskins is not going to get 200 mil, but he can turn a one year at 20 into a five years at a hundred. Surely. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then going back to the going back to the Rutschman, the main difference I actually think between Will Smith and Adley is going to be, well, and I don't know this now, but I was going to say the age that they get to free agency because Adley would have been had COVID not happened, Adley would have been there pretty young, but I don't think he got there young. It may be more similar than I think now that we're talking about it. Will Smith hits the market in two years. He's 28 right now. He's going to turn 29, so he's going to be 31. Adley, that's not the case. Adley's going to hit the open market. Actually, it it may be kind of close. Adley may hit the open market at, at night at 29. That's that's but as we all know, that's a massive difference for a major league catcher. Right. The difference 29 to 31 is a big deal. Right. Huh? The difference between 89 and 90 on the mount is massive. And like the difference yeah. between 29 and 30 in terms of age when you hit free agency is absolutely massive. Yes. Yes. So I think, I think Adley sets the contract there. Um, you know, I mean, shoot though, Jonah Hine puts together a couple more good years. He's yeah. going to be in that con- he's going to be in that conversation. Yeah. So Adley hits it ahead of his age 30 season. Smith hits it ahead of his age 31 season like 3 years earlier. So I I think Smith is going to get a bag like before he turns 31 years old. I in listen, he's entirely deserving of that. Adley may just be in a different realm if he continues it because he's been so good at 25, 26 years old. I think they extend him. You think so? I think if I'm the Orioles, like, build around me. Okay, so this I, is another thought that I want to I want to have, and then we'll tie a bow on the contention window for the American League East. Do you think there's any hesitance to extend Adley when you have a, a player of Samuel Basayo's pedigree right behind him? No, no. Because okay. I think I think if if you know what you have in Adley Rutschman in the, at the major league level. Yeah. And if you can extend him and get him, you have to do it. Right? Like, if you have that opportunity, and I'm not saying you do, if they did, it would be right now, buy low right now. Right. This is, I, you know, I think you're, I think this is the floor. I think that's crazy, right? Like, I know I said that after year one and his year two wasn't as good, but, like, I, I really do. Like, it was similar. You know, it was right around yeah. the same. Um. But I think you're only going to see a better Adley. And as, as this team keeps doing well, you're going to see him show up in big spots. And I think, you know, Gunnar really struggled early. I think you get a full season of a healthy, good Gunnar Henderson. Um, you get a healthy Heston Kerstad showing up in there. That lineup is going to got a chance to be okay with Mountcastle with, you know, right. what you got. No, so you said the floor was going to be 2022. This guy had a 135 WRC plus and a 5.4 war. Um, and then you said he got worse. It was a 127 WRC plus and a 5.1 war. So, like, if he got, he got worse. worse from what you thought his floor was, and that's a five-win season, pay the man right now. That's what I'm saying. So, like, if you have that opportunity, I think you do it. And you never worry about having too many good catchers. It's right. just such a weak position that – you know, I mean, look at look at the Pirates. Look where the Pirates are. They're in a great spot. They were in a spot where they can lose their starting catcher in the big leagues and not have to worry because I have a first overall pick that can do that. Yeah, he's going to catch. You're talking about the exact same scenario. Right. He's going to catch full-time this year, Davis? I don't those know. Are the I have reports. to imagine. 
Yeah, those are the reports. Like Ben Charrington said, he's going to show up to Bradenton when pitchers and catchers report as a catcher. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming. I, I, I can't imagine him not catching every day, at least to start. Yeah, because otherwise you're piecing together what Jason DeLay and Ali Sanchez, and and it seems like Henry Davis would just be a better full-time option than that, objectively. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gunner, now do you think Gunner's extension possibility is impacted by a player of Holiday's caliber? Because like Jackson Holiday, the difference between Holiday and Basayo, I think Basayo's got the chance to be a top five prospect in baseball when like Holiday and some of these other guys graduate, but Holiday is like consensus number one prospect in baseball. He's kind of on a different yep. planet from the rest of the prospect world. Do you think Holiday and Kobe Mayo's presence, especially with it not being the catcher situation, impacts Gunner's extension possibilities? No, because there's more spots on the infield. Mm-hmm. I'm content with putting Gunner at third or putting Gunner at second and putting Mayo at first. Like, a lot of those pieces are kind of movable, and I, I, I'll say this: like the the one that stands out to me is like Jackson and Gunner up the middle as a thought, or Jackson and Gunner like putting Gunner at third, and and putting Jackson at short. However, you want to do it. Um, I think those two in the infield it's a scary thought. I had the youth of those two guys, um, but no, I don't think so. I think you know. I'll tell you what I think is going to be interesting, maybe scare off the Orioles a little bit. It's like, I think Gunner, I think if I'm Gunner's agent, I go and I look at the Corbin Carroll deal and I say, look, like we want more than Corbin. Yeah. I believe he's going to be younger than Corbin Carroll was when he hits free agency. Um, I, he, you know, I know he plays, he doesn't, I know that Corbin Carroll plays a really good outfield, but he plays a more impactful position. Um, you know, there's a lot to really like there for Gunner to to pay. I I think Carol having success, and they're going to be pretty much the same age when they hit the open market, um, okay. or when they would have if Carol didn't sign that deal. I will say the difference between a four and a half win season and a six win season in your rookie year is like pretty big. Like that's that's another player. Um, but the fact that Carol was so good out of the gate. I think actually helps Gunner's case. And while the Orioles front office could point to that and be like, well, he's, he's an alien life form and we think you're a damn good player. It's like, we just don't know if you are one of the better players in baseball for the foreseeable future. Gunner can say, well, you should, because I've proven that I just put up a four and a half win season in my age 22 season. And also like they are going to look back on that deal. Arizona is going to look back on that deal and say that was the heist of the century. If you got a six-win season in his rookie year and you got him for eight at 111, and I think, an, what is, I think what you is, can extend to nine or ten. What is the what is the value of a win? Do you know what the value of a win this year was? I, I know that like there was an arbitrary number thrown out that was around eight million dollars. I don't know what the the monetary value was in 2023, but I also don't love that you can attach like a number to that. Really? It's so case by case. What do you mean? I mean, like four wins from Nico Horner and four wins from Pete Alonso look very different. Why? Because Nico four wins is like, okay, you're getting elite defense at second base and you're getting probably a 110 to 115 WRC plus. Yeah, but that's the whole purpose of war is that that's irrelevant. 
So my pushback is I think that offense is just objectively more valuable than defense is. I, and you disagree with that? Can you disagree you, with that? No, no. Like you're saying you do think that it is or you're saying think you think is. that baseball values it more? I do think that that a pound of feathers in this case does weigh less than a pound of bricks. I think that four wins offensively weighs more for me than four wins defensively. Now, if it's in center field, okay, like then it's up for interpretation. If it's a shortstop, then it's up for interpretation. But like a second baseman that is elite defensively that's putting up a 115 WRC plus. Alonzo, a four-win season for him looks like a 160 WRC plus, and it looks like you know, damn near 50 homers and like 125 driven in. And I'm just going to take the guy that gave me 50 and 125 because I feel that offensively he put me in more positions to win games than my second baseman making every play. But he was also putting you in situations to not win games defensively, which is why he had to hit 50 home runs. Yeah, but my thing is like, okay, we're having this conversation and we're talking about two non-premium defensive positions, right? Second base and first base. So the conversation can change. I think the conversation is really malleable. That's why I don't love attaching that number value financially. Do you, do you, okay, that that's fair. That's fair. I, I like the concept of being able to say like, because now you can look at that Corbin Carroll deal and you go, look, he made $48 million. He was worth $48 million this year. Right. So if I'm the, if I'm the Arizona Diamondbacks, I, he made, he was worth half of his contract this year. Yeah. Or a third of his contract this year. You know what I'm saying? For sure. As far as the four wins in, in you know, where it matters to me, um, I think positions where you're not going to get value from normally, it may be slightly higher, but, I just think that um, I love war as a stat because I think it's the best way to judge, to just go, hey, like, you know, in a vacuum, who Are is, you a good who player is worth not? more? Yeah. You know, who is worth more? Who is, if I want to take a first baseman and a relief pitcher? Right. So I that's do the that. thing. Yeah. So I think maybe our wires got crossed for a moment because I think war is like the best number that we have in baseball. I that is the best understanding and calculation of value. My thing is, I don't love attaching a monetary value to a war number. So I don't like saying that each win above replacement is worth X million dollars. Do I think isn't there isn't isn't, and okay, yeah, so that that is where we got crossed. So why and I know you just explained it, but why in terms of like okay. This is what I, this is. Here's what I was trying to say. Got you. <laughs> I think the reason I think the reason that you think the offensive side is a, is harder, at least to me, is because in thought it's harder for you to replace 50 home runs in one position in the batting order than it would be in your head to fill in a good defending, average hitting second baseman. Correct. The other thing that I, I think kind of aids in my thinking of that is we learned at a very young age that if you want to play division one baseball, if you want to get drafted, if you want to make it to the big leagues, you better effing hit. Like you can be the best defender. Like, Nassim Nunez is an amazing defender. He was just a rule five pick of the Nats. He was in the Marlins system. 
Mm-hmm. Like that guy didn't have a path to the big leagues because he was OPSing 550. Now that's an extreme example, but like if that guy stunk at shortstop, they'll find a place for him in the lineup if he was OPSing 900 at every minor league level. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, but the Houston Astros wouldn't. How so? Because they have a DH. That's right. going to so be it, it it's situational, but the thing is, but I I do but, think that every pro organization has a guy that is an amazing defender, whether it be in the middle infield or the outfield, that can't hit to a big league standard, and that guy doesn't get to the big leagues. Whereas we just saw Luke and Baker get a big league shot this year. That guy cannot defend, but man, can he hit thirty and drive in a hundred? No, no doubt, no doubt. I think you get more opportunities as a bat. The only thing I will say is I think one reason that we don't value the defense and the base running as much, mainly the defense at a lower level, is because you can't really value that at a at a lower level. There's no you don't I can look at a batting average. I can look at a home runs. I can't look and say, Hey, you gained us this much value with your defense this year, but you can in the big leagues. So I do think it plays a little bit more of a role when we talk about that. Um but I see your point. I mean, I think – and I think it depends also. I think it is situationally, which would, once again, lend to to there not being a dollar amount to it um, because, you know, what helps my team more? You know, Pete Alonzo helps the Mets more. Pete Alonzo – you know, Nico Horner helps the Cubs more, whatever it may be, you know. Right. And you want to talk about the ripple effect there. Cubs are a, you know, huge market team. Obviously, they're selling a bunch of Horner jerseys. But like Alonzo's outselling Horner in the gift shop. You know what I mean? Like Alonzo's getting people to to tune in. Horner is awesome when you go to the ballpark. Horner is awesome, but there are way fewer people that are saying, I really want to watch Nico Horner play baseball tonight. Right. As opposed right. to, damn, I hope Pete Alonzo hits one 490 feet tonight. The Little League World Series, you're going to hear Pete Alonzo more than you're going to hear Nico Horner. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yep. and and I think that ripple effect financially for a team matters and and that's why I think that Vladdy's contract can get huge because that guy he put up pretty much a negative war Kyle Schwarber put up a war close to zero but guess what he had forty seven bumps like people love him well that I will say this and this is one thing that I think is really cool about what they're doing in Philly is I do think that it matters what he does in that clubhouse because oh, yeah. Because I think if he was not a good person, that he's not playing in Philly. They're just saying, off with you. We'll put somebody out. We'll eat the whatever, $70 million. We'll eat it. We don't care. He just we'll, turns we'll into Chris Carter money. at that point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, But because he's such a good person and such a good leader, they'll take the impressive 47 homers and the impressive 210 strikeouts. Do you like the idea of a Schwarber hitting leadoff? Like Judge was hitting yeah. leadoff in that Maris chase. I think it. I think it. I think it depends. Um, you know, I think it's like eight. I think it's eight at bats per position that you get throughout a year. Um, if you hit hit maybe ten, so like if you're normally the three hole and you end up hitting first, you're going to get twenty more at bats um, throughout yeah. the year. Um, something like that. I, so I, that would the, make sense with with a judge type because you just yes. want your best player to get the most plate appearances. Yes, Schwarber sees a lot of pitches, so, so that helps. yeah, 
even if he strikes out, he's going to strike out Walker, hit a homer, but he puts together pretty good at-bats and sees pitches. So I know that even though he may not get on base, he's going to have, he's going to make that pitcher throw in four at-bats. The pitcher's going to have thrown 25 pitches. Right. Makes sense. So I'll take that. And I think he does a good job. I think, I think a leadoff hitter is very similar to a closer and that like, I don't think it takes anything special. I just think it takes a certain kind of mindset to be a leadoff hitter. Like you're only doing it once a game, right? Like it's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. But you're also like you are the top of the lineup and you recognize that. Um so it takes a dude like you got to be good with that. Yeah. But I don't need my best guy there always. Right. I understand doing it sometimes though. And you need to assume that identity. Like Seeger Seeger yes. is not necessarily a, a good leadoff guy because no. More than ever he's swinging at the first pitch. Well, and just yeah, you don't want to put that guy there. That guy's not built to be a leadoff guy. No, exactly. He's built it's to a be great... a run producer. Right, right, right. There's a little pressure on you because you got men on, and hey, he's going to ambush the first pitch because you're trying to get ahead, and getting ahead means throwing a pitch in the strike zone. Uh, and that's and that's a good segue. That's a good segue into probably our last topic for tonight into teams that everybody wants to play for. Let's talk about the right. Texas Rangers. Right. A lot of people want to play for play for Texas. I do want to tie a bow on the AL East thing real quick. Oh, sorry. sorry. And, no, you're good. Just like wrap up on the Red Sox because they do have one of the better farm systems in that division. Like the Jays farm system, unfortunately, is just not that good. The Rays are always good. Baltimore is amazing. They're all proximity, though. Like they're all in the upper minors, it seems now. Um, and the Yankees, like they just – traded drew thorpe who was probably their best pitching prospect they traded richard fitz who might have been their third or fourth best pitching prospect like obviously they got the young guys in dominguez but Pereira really struggled when he got up peraza really hasn't hit his stride at the big league level volpe showed some signs of youth i think he's going to be great over his next five years at control um but Boston's got a Roman Anthony and they're hoping that Marcelo Meyer bounces back and they just drafted Kyle Teal, who looks like a top 100 guy. Do you think they're going to try and time up their spending for when those guys get there? I think you, I think you do a combo of that and monitoring what happens in Toronto. I think we kind of pay attention to what happens to in Toronto. And if, if Toronto pays those guys, then I think maybe you kind of go. You just say, like, there's no more waiting. Right. And if it looks like they're not going to pay those guys, then you wait. And when they don't pay those guys, you go and you pay. So that's the thing. It's like they just need a decision from Toronto. It's almost like hold, hold, hold. And as soon as they get closure on either end, it's okay, fire. Yeah, I think you got to I think you got to try to get a little bit better, though. Like, you got to try to make one major move each offseason. Go get one big move. Um, even if it's like a relatively minor, seemingly minor move, go get a really good clubhouse piece for a multi-year deal. Like, let's get the clubhouse right. Um, let's go get a starter to let our relievers, you know, say, let's go get a closer. So, you know, something, let's go get Josh Hader. Let's give Josh Hader five years. You so know what I mean? Hader's, Hader's really the only guy left in that bucket because Bellinger is not going to Boston. Why not? No Duran, Rafaela, like, I, I mean, you make space yeah. for Cody Bellinger, but Casas is at first, like, they just don't need him. Um, you can always get a better closer if you don't have Hater or, you know, Felix Bautista or Edwin Diaz. Like, the Red Sox, okay, they've got, you know, Kenley Jansen, but, like, 
that's all right. Like you move Kenley to a setup role and like have Hader throw the ninth inning. Um, with Bellinger, I just don't know if the fit is there for the price point. If he was an $100 million player, they would figure it out, but he's a $200 million player. So it's probably not worth them figuring it out. Yeah. I, I yeah. And I, uh, it's interesting because I think that, um, you know, I mean, if you're going to try to win in two years, I don't know. It's still far away for a reliever. You're going to give him, somebody's going to give Hater five years. Yeah. How many of those are you expecting to be good? That's the real question. I mean, shit, at this point, all five. That's true. I mean, they've just got no sign of slowing down. He's 29 years old. Just throwing BBs. I think he's never not been an all star. Is that right? That's really impressive. Josh Hader has. No, he wasn't an all star in 20. Oh, 20, but there wasn't an all star season at that point. Yeah. All star. First year he wasn't, but he had a 208 ERA in 47 innings. Um, after that, all star in 18, all star in 19, no all star game in 20, all star in 21, all star in 22, all star in 23. Pretty good, right? That's pretty solid. Yeah. Last topic of the night. Um, guys want to go to certain teams and they don't want to go to other teams. The Dodgers and the Rangers have been in on Hater. The Rangers. They just signed Tyler Malley out of nowhere. And, I mean, they're in talks of, you know, re-signing Jordan Montgomery. The Dodgers, we don't need to hit on them again. It's it's Otani, it's Yamamoto, it's, you know, trading for glass now. Like, Teoscar for a one-year deal. Like, everybody wants to go play in L.A. That's abundantly clear. Texas, it's clear that they just want to freaking win again. And I think they're paying like that. How appealing is that? Like, hey... We may not have space for you to play every day, but we really want to freaking win. So we'll figure out how to get you on the hill if you're good enough, or we'll figure out how to get you ABs if you're good enough. And you've got one of the most beloved head coaches in, you know, managers in the in the world, and Bruce Bochy. Right. I think what Chris Young is doing is incredible. I, you know, I talk about him all the time. Um, I think people want to go play there. They want to go play for. For Chris Young, they want to go win. I think that's a fun place. And, you know, <clears throat> I think this started with Atlanta. I think Atlanta started this trend of, like, being proud of, of, of signing as a group, you know? And it started this trend of, like, man, these teams doing this again. Because this is what happened in the late 90s when all those teams put together those monster teams in the AL East and those monster teams out West. You're kind of seeing that again in a different light because there's a there's a – um, luxury tax cap now, but like you're seeing that um, these teams put together these monsters um, and it seems like it started in Atlanta and now you go to Texas and it's like, man, everybody wants to go. I'll, some guys, I'll take a pay cut. Teoscar yeah. Hernandez took a pay cut, I am sure, to go to LA. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, um, you know, we all know what Shohei did, but, uh, you know, it's it's I think the Shohei thing to me, it was a no brainer that he stays in L.A. Just with with the better organization. Like, the, I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing. Right. Like they didn't bat an eye to 700. He didn't bat an eye to tell him I don't even need it because I'm making more money off the field and you're going to pay me on the field. So it's fine. Yeah. It's crazy. It's but ridiculous. like you said, the one the one that stands out to me are the Giants. The Giants are the one that stands out to me that, like, they're clearly doing something, 
and that like they don't people don't want to go there which is bizarre and i know that yamamoto like they got jung hu lee which i appreciate like they're willing to spend which i so greatly appreciate right 100 percent right. Yamamoto said, if I didn't end up in LA, like, hey, it's the Dodgers, you know, like the Dodgers met the number. If I didn't end up in LA, you know, I really liked San Francisco's pitch to me. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, and I saw the stuff on on foul territory that some people were saying, like, hey, they thought San Francisco as a city was on like kind of the descent and it was getting gross and it was getting dangerous. I don't think that's fair. I can see how that narrative can be a collective turnoff for players that haven't been to San Francisco. So when the first thing you hear about San Francisco is, oh, it's getting dirty, versus the first thing you hear about Arlington is, oh, that ballpark is great and they want to win, I know which one I'm choosing, even if the Rangers come in at $10 million less. Yeah, I do think I, – I mean, I've, I've played with people that, you know – Everybody travels, right? So, like, everybody's yeah. – when you're a free agent, you've been just about everywhere. You Most can see it for yourself. To, right. Yeah. It's – I mean, it's – it's uh, it's interesting. It's, you know, if you've got an interest – you know, if you've got a family, it's a it's an incredibly expensive place to live, first so of all. Great. Right? And you're – and on top of that, you're going to pay an incredible amount of taxes. And at times, if you don't feel safe, it might not be worth it for you it might be worth it for you to take a $5 million pay cut to go somewhere else. Yeah. It, it, I just hope we're not seeing that because I hope we're not seeing that with a team that's willing to spend. And the other thing is I really hope that the Giants understand that they just got the biggest gift in the world for Major League Baseball and that they now own the Bay Area. Yeah. There is no athletics. Yeah. I, not that they're going to not lose fans and that there's going to be fans that go to, to Vegas, sure. But you are the only team there now. Like, take advantage. For sure. They they are going to grab a bunch of fans. I do believe that. Um, I also, like, don't love that idea. I understand, hey, you know, the area around the ballpark kind of stinks. That's not great. The thing is, like, these guys are not living within 10 minutes of the ballpark. They can find a good neighborhood in San Francisco if they do their due diligence. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can, but once again, that you're, you're talking about typically, typically guys that are signing free agent deals have families. What are those families doing during the day? They've got to get to the field every day. And when you're not home, they got to get, you know, wherever they got to go around town. Um, right. So if you don't, I'm saying all of that to say, if you don't like the city, that's a big deal. You have um, to like I know, it. Right. I, I know there have been players that have signed and not signed with certain teams because of um, how they treat their families. For sure. Like I know there were people that signed with the Cubs because of how good they treated their families. A hundred percent. And think about how accessible Wrigley is for people that live on the north side of Chicago. Like 100%. there are some really nice neighborhoods up there that yeah. I'm sure all the Cubs live in. Wrigley's super accessible. You don't have to hop on the highway. Versus a New York, like I'm sure there are people that push New York to the side because they don't want to deal with it. Yep. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, which is why you've seen those markets have to pay more typically, you know? Yeah. Um, but it is just an interesting trend in baseball that, you know, you get, you're getting the super teams and then you're getting these groups of teams that nobody wants to play for. It's not good. Like that, that, not. that feels like a bad omen. It's not good. Let's hope they can figure it out. Cool. 
This was fun, man. We'll do it again. Uh, they're late this week, early next. Cool. Let's do it. Every link you guys need is in our link tree. Um, even the merch, even the just baseball merch. We have a lot sitting in like our office in New York. And we just want to sell that shit. We, I told you we were going to send you some free stuff, but um, we want to sell yeah, it to nice. you guys. We may get a discount code for you. We'll see. Be nice to us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. 